So I need your help this morning. So on the count of three, what I want you to do is I want you to snap your fingers. Can you do that? Get ready. Put down that cell phone that you've been texting about how great the worship service is. <laughs> and, and on the count of three, snap your fingers. One, two, three. That is great. One more time. One, two, three. All right. So how far, in the moment it took you to snap your fingers, how far do you think light went around the earth? Scotty, how far? Five times around. Five times around. Somebody else? Scotty, you're close. Six times around. I'll give you a candy bar sometime. Okay. So, six times around the earth because light travels at 186,000 miles per second. That's amazing. So we have this orange thing in the sky that during the wintertime we wish we could see. Do we have a picture of that orange thing? So there we have the sun and the earth. If we wanted to get to that sun, we would have to go 94.4 million miles. So let's say that we all decided and we asked Pastor Don if we could borrow his PT Cruiser. We piled in that thing and, and somehow got it up to 65 miles per hour, which in itself would be a miracle. We get moving and we head out and we drive 24 hours a day. We don't stop at Mickey D's. We don't stop for a restroom break. We just keep going and going and going. And we eventually will get to the sun in 163 years. Today, if the sun is out when you get out and you, and you walk out there and you, you feel that light hitting you from the sun and it feels warm, understand that that ray of light that hits you left the sun just eight hours ago. That's how fast it moves. Our sun is part of a galaxy we call what? The Milky Way. Thank you. The Milky Way. It is the closest sun to us, and they estimate there's about 300 billion stars of the sun as one of those in the Milky Way. That galaxy is not the only galaxy in our universe. There's an estimation that there are about 80 billion galaxies. That is the, the, one of the 3D images we have of our universe. So let's say that, that we take the amount of galaxies there are and we divide them up between the population of the Earth. It would come down to this, and each of us would get 10 galaxies apiece. So let's say, Scotty, we want to go visit your galaxies. Want to take the PT Cruiser or go by the speed of light? Speed of light. So we decide we're going to go to the speed of light, and the good news for us, Scotty, is this, that if we're traveling at 186,000 miles per second, Light will travel 5,865,696,000,000 miles in a year. That's good. Unless you happen to have one of those galaxies that is in the outer edge of the universe, because, Scotty, then it would take us 15.5 billion light years to get there. With the magnitude of that in mind, listen to what our Creator tells us. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. 
And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I love the way that Pastor Mark Batterson writes and concludes. He says this, your best thought on your best day falls 15.5 billion light years short of how great and how good God really is. And even the most brilliant among us underestimate God by 15.5 billion light years beyond what we can ask or imagine. He is that big. And his ways are so beyond us. And that's what, what his friend John, who found himself on a prison island of Patmos, must, be, must have been thinking when this creator opened up his mind to see what was happening in dimensions that we cannot see at this moment. And he sees these, these creatures he can barely describe around the throne of God, and there's these human God lovers who are before the throne, and they bow down, they look up, and they yell something, and they bow down, and they look up, and they yell something, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And this is what they say. Revelation 4.8 says, day and night. They never stop saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When I was in high school, I, I grew up in the, what they called the holiness movement. And we were a holiness-type church. And if you would have asked me in those years what holiness meant to describe holy, I would have told you it means we don't dance, we don't go to movies, and we wear suits to church. That's holy. But somehow, I don't think at this moment when those, those creatures that are hard to describe and, and those humans who love God are before his throne, I don't think they're bowing down, looking up, going, we don't dance. We don't dance. We wear suits. We wear suits. We don't go to movies. We don't. It's not what they're crying. The very root of that word holy may surprise you. It simply means this an awful thing. So, well, they're crying out, hey, awful thing, awful thing, awful thing. Well, understand the context. They're not trying, they're not crying out that God is an awful thing. What they're saying is this, you are so immeasurable. You are so incredibly uncontrollable that you scare us. This is us and that is you. This is us and that is you. This is us and that is you. And there is a separation between us because we cannot even begin to begin to begin to begin to begin to become close to the outskirts of who you are because that is you and this is us. You are so other. So what they're crying out, and we sang it this morning, they're singing, other, 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 other. Because you can't describe with human tongue what you see when you're exposed to his otherness. And what is so amazing about that is this, that there is so much of his otherness that living forever will not exhaust the exploration of that otherness. So try to control that. Egypt tried to. For a couple hundred years, they had had the Jews in captivity and used them for slave labor. God came to Moses and said, I want you to go and tell them to let my people go. And Moses said, well, who should I say sent me? And he said, tell them that the I am, the one who has been and is and will be, this other, 
this God of otherness is sending you. He goes to Pharaoh, says, God said, let him go. And he said, who sent you? And he said, this God did, this, this God of otherness sent, sent me. And, and Pharaoh responds and says, anything your God can do, our gods can do too. So Moses stones, sows down his staff that he used for, for corralling his sheep, and he throws it on the ground, and it turns to a snake. And his magicians, Pharaoh's magicians, do the same. Moses then has the water turn into blood, and the magicians do the same. Moses has frogs come out and, and go all over the kingdom, and, and the, the Egyptian magicians do the same. Then Moses has gnats fill the kingdom. And the magicians go, oh, uh, we can't do that one. Then flies invade. And they go, oh, no, we, we, we can't do that one either. A plague hits the livestock, and you go, no, no, can't do that one. Boils cover their bodies. No, don't even want to try that one. Hail pounds the kingdom. No, no, can't do that one. Locusts eat up all the crops. Nope, can't do that one. Darkness covers for hours, and it's just, it's pitch dark. You can't see a thing. You go, no, we can't do that one either. And then every firstborn not covered by the blood of a lamb die. They go, oh, we can't do that one. And they say to the Jews, get out and take your unsafe God with you. We can't deal with this. And you would think that the Jews who have this God, are, when they leave, they're thinking, oh, this is great. We got this God, and he is good, and it's wonderful. And they come to his mountain, and they see a manifestation of this otherness of God. And the mountain shakes, and there's lightning, and it's covered with, with fog and mist and and. And God says, bring him on up. And they say to Moses, no, you go up. We're scared of him. Because he's so other. And that is why a baby is born in Bethlehem. And they call him Emmanuel, meaning what? God with us. The other. The otherness of God with us. And what can be more approachable than a baby? And even as this child grows and he reaches into his young adult years, embezzlers and prostitutes and those who know that's so imperfect hang out with him and he's called a friend of sinners. And they're not afraid of him. Although at times they catch a glimpse of him because one of his followers named Peter caught a glimpse of a miracle and he turned to him and said, go away from me because I am so sinful. He caught a glimpse of the otherness of God and said, oh, I can't deal with this. And herein lies the danger we face today in our culture. We want Jesus to be that Jesus, the friend of sinners, Jesus, the guy that will, will deal with us gracefully, Jesus who is merciful, Jesus who is really good and kind to us, and, and if I mess up, he'll forgive me, and if, even if I don't change, he's just going to love me, so I'll just be who I want to be whenever I want to be that because we are just buds, we're BFFs, and, and he's my, my party partner, and we're just, we're just great. And he is so long-suffering. He is so patient with mercy and grace. And we say, that's who he is. And we create him. We don't want him to be Jesus the God, Jesus the Holy One, Jesus the Other, because that scares us. So we just ignore the Old Testament and say, he, he can't be that. That's just something they made up. 
And so we've got to control him. So while Moses is up talking in the presence of the otherness of God, the people who are afraid of God are down below making up a new God that they can control. Said, no, this is the one who brought us out of Egypt, this one here. Why? Because we're not afraid of him and we can control him. So what we want to do is we want to tame him. We tame him like we do that lion at the Erie Zoo. Have you seen it? We stand outside that, that cage, and we're not afraid. Well, we, we're fascinated with the strength that's potentially there, but we're not afraid, and, and we, will, we will tease the lion, and we will yell at the lion, and we'll walk back and forth in front of the lion, but we're not afraid because he's tame. He's caged. Several years ago, Pam and I went to visit our daughter when she was living in South Africa with her husband. And while we were there, someone gave us a gift of a safari. And so we went on the safari on the first evening. We got there just in time for the evening drive. It was getting to be sunset. And so we jumped in this land cruiser that has no, real, no, no sides. It's kind of a little stadium seating, no sides and no top. It's just wide open. It's these people. There's about four or five of us sitting in these seats. And then there's a scout, a guide, and, and a scout and a guide. And there's a, a rifle across in Iraq. This is not a zoo. This is real stuff. He says, I, I got a surprise for you. He said, well, what's the surprise? And he drives up right next to some lions that are licking the blood off their paws and faces because they just killed. And he turns the engine off. I want to be brave, but I'm going, in my head, don't turn the engine off. Do not turn the engine off. And we're, we're about 30 yards away. And I'm thinking, we're sitting here long enough. Let's just go. And he's talking about the lions. And Pam gets up to, to take a picture. And he says, sit down, sit down, sit down. He said, lions will attack if you walk outside this vehicle or if you stand up. Pam's trying to take a picture. And the, and the problem is that I'm between her and the lions. That's a problem. So I can guarantee you that we did not walk back and forth. We did not tease the lions. We did not yell at the lions because those lions are unsafe. One of the reasons we stress how vital it is for us to have continuous and daily worship and at least once a week corporate worship is because Worship helps us let go of our safe God and go face-to-face -face with the otherness of God. And it is only then that two things will happen. That that kind of worship will build faith in us. Because when I'm dealing with a difficulty at work or on campus or I'm having financial issues, if I can see who he is and understand that this lion is wild, I can invite that lion to enter into my circumstance and just rip it up and take care of it for me. And when I see my difficulty and how extremely wild and uncontrollable God is and what he wants to do, I realize, yeah, he can do this. It builds my faith. The other thing we don't really want it to do is it brings incredible conviction because we invite that lion to have his way in the privacy of our own lives. And we begin to understand that if we think we can hide our sin from God, we are wrong. It is futile. It is dangerous.
the place where God is unsafe and uncontrollable, we're calling the holy wild. And it's the place that God wants us to be. Do we actually dare hang out there where God is wild? God invites us into the holy wild, promising us that we will be safe. But we will not be comfortable. Author Mark Buchanan calls that safe place that makes us comfortable. He calls it the borderland. The borderland is that place where you put your faith in Jesus and then you begin to follow him, and Jesus then says, come, I want to show you my otherness, and we say, no, 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 let, let Pastor Moses take care of that. I want to be over here, and I want to create my own safe God. So I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Buchanan says we want him to be comfortable rather than comforting. We're wanting a God other than God, a God who is nice, innocuous, pampering, who forgets not our confessed sins but our besetting ones. Instead of him being our hiding place, we would prefer that God be our ace in the hole. And if that God doesn't work, we prefer to hide from him. So you with, with, with backgrounds of church and, and understand miracles and heard of them and maybe even seen them, we keep praying, oh God, let your otherness be seen by the release and the wildness of your power that you'll bring healing, that you'll bring miracles, that you'll, you'll remove addictions from people. And we pray those things. But I want to propose to you this morning that to uninvite the otherness of God into our private lives is uninviting him and his otherness into our physical lives. You can't have one without the other. You cannot have holiness on the outside without holiness on the inside. You can't stand in the borderland and say, hey, give me some of the power from the holy wild. No, no, no. You want holy wild miracles? You have to live in the holy wild. And believe me, it is holy and it is wild. King David of Israel had retrieved the Ark of the Covenant, that, that, that wonderful peace upon which the presence of the Almighty would rest himself. It had the name the Lord. And there was no power like that power. He secured it from the Philistines, those unholy people, and was bringing it back. And as he brought it back to the place where it should rest, here's what transpired. They placed the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio Abinadab's sons were guiding the cart as it left the house, carrying the ark of, the, of God. Ahia walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and studied the ark of God. And then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? That is a horrible story. That made David fearful. God is, is not safe. So how do we deal with that? Worship 
is facing God's otherness. Because if God is other, there are no other options. Worship is going face-to-face and rightly responding. Worship said that you take the Ark of the Covenant and you hoist it up with poles and the priest carry it. That's what you do with his otherness. The Philistines put it on a cart as they would any of their safe gods, any of their common gods they did. And Uzzah thought, great idea, easier, we'll do that. But we can't treat God as the surrounding culture does, common and one of the gods we pull around. That's not worship. That's not face-to-face. That is not rightly responding. You say, well, wait, wait, wait. He was just trying to keep God from falling. If he had been worshiping, he would understand that God never falls. If we believe we can rescue God, then we're already dead. And Uzzah was. God doesn't need a keep our God safe march. He wants a worship dance in awe that this unsafe God is our friend. The safe God we invite makes us comfortable. The safe God we create makes us comfortable. We get to serve him and and he doesn't ask anything from us and we get nothing from him. He doesn't drive us to our knees in desperation or stand us on our feet in determination. He doesn't make us bold and dance. The safe God doesn't need a kingdom of priests, just a colony of Uzzahs. So while David fears, they say, oh, here's Obed-Edom's house. Let's just, let's park the Ark of the Covenant here. And Obed-Edom doesn't have a choice, and he's heard what's going on, so he's not touching it. And then the most amazing thing happened. The scripture says this. The Ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Now, we don't know what that was, but I'm just picturing in my mind that suddenly Obed-Junior is getting better grades. How does it happen? I don't know. He's not any smarter. The crops are producing in a way they've never produced The cattle are giving birth, and and all the calves are healthy. Little sister has stopped having her nightmares. Oban and his wife are having a great marriage like they've never had before. And in the house, there's just this sense of peace and strength and happiness. And Oban recognizes that this God is not an irritable and angry God. But why is that happening to Obed and and, and what happened to Uzzah? I think David finally discovers this, that God is not so accommodating that we can get away with trying to make him common and impotent. We can't do that. He's a consuming fire. And his main business is not to make it easier for me to find a parking spot at the mall. Or to help me find the perfect dress for prom. He's not, he's, that's not the deal. Besides that, I wouldn't wear one. We will either be desperate to follow him and be with him, or we will be devastated by him. He will love us more than any safe God could imagine, 
and he will judge evil more powerfully than any safe God would tolerate. So what do we do? A strong follower of Jesus, A.W. Tozer, remarks that we take refuge from God in God. Only a God we fear and yet do not need to be afraid of can make us desperate for the holy wild. There's this great story. You perhaps have seen the, the movie and perhaps read the books by C.S. Lewis called The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's this, this great dialogue that takes place with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and the children, and they promise to take the children to see Aslan, the king, the lion. And this dialogue takes place. Is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is king of the wood and son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Oh, that you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. So let's be clear. Jesus is not okay with us putting him on our list behind golf, soccer practice, and dancing with the stars. He is not okay with being one of our many beliefs. He is not okay with calling him the man upstairs and calling for his help whenever we need something fixed. We can't put him on a leash. We can't appease him with Sunday attendance. He is completely, utterly, and totally unsafe. And he loves us. For the only refuge from God is in God. There's a young man who grew up in this church. And then following graduation, he moved to Florida. He grew up with my son, Dustin, and middle school and high school, they were notorious for getting in trouble. They both ran away from God and got in trouble. Like Dustin, years into their rebellion against God and, and trying to run from him, they discovered that he was an unsafe God. I remember Dustin saying to me one day, he said, I can't keep running from God because he'll put me in jail, and he's about to be put there. He said, I realize God won't give up on me. And Dustin realized he is unsafe, and Mike realized it too. So they both yielded to this unsafe God and found their safety in this God. Several months ago, Mike was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so for several months now, we've all been praying for his healing. And Mike died this week. And I wondered, God, why didn't you heal him? But I also understood this, that I, 
underestimate God by 15.5 billion light years beyond what I can ask or imagine. I also know this, and I firmly believe this, and we declared it this morning in song, that the fallen angel who uses death as a weapon to separate us from God, as do the other demons, fallen angels, he trembles before the very presence of God because God is unsafe. But God is good. Everywhere that Jesus went, this, this God of otherness, everywhere he went and there was a funeral, he messed it up because he always brought him back to life. And this we do know, that this God we've talked about this morning infuses his resurrection power into those people who follow him so that we know that death will not hold on to us, that we live forever. Because he is such a wild God. And he loves us. So this week on Facebook, Dustin wrote this. One of my best friends growing up passed away from this life yesterday from pancreatic cancer. Michael Pontillo, a.k.a. Little Caesar, a.k.a. the Italian Stallion. We used to pile drive each other on ironing boards in hotel rooms at church youth conventions. We drew cartoons on pastors' faces in the church bulletins. They did, I saw them. Mike played basketball like an unstoppable train, often crashing into the wall pads right after making a layup. Mike was a seasoned Patriots and Sox fan and exploded with a measurable fandom when the curse of the Bambino broke in 07. Once a month, Mike and his grandparents and I would frequent the local Erie Downs and Casino to watch pay-per-views of WWF's The Rock fake wrestle grown men while we ate nachos and witnessed grizzled, intoxicated gamblers fall into depression. Foregoing the use of past tense and believing Mike is gone from this earth, but presently alive in Jesus is Lord, Dustin writes this. Mike is genuine and loyal. Mike loves his family. Mike adores his friends. And most importantly, Mike loves Jesus, and he's with him now. Because of that, Mike is, is and will continue to be more Mike than ever. Dustin then quotes N.T. Wright and says this, You know how it is if a friend has been really sick and has taken a long time off work and has been in the hospital, and you go and visit them after a while, and you come away and you say, Poor so-and-so, he's just a shadow of his former self. The good news of the resurrection of hope is that if you are in Christ, and if you are indwelt by the Spirit, then you are just a shadow of your future self. And then he quotes John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Dustin ends with these words. Mike, I will see you again. I plan to wrestle you by the pearly gates. So I have good news and bad news. And in this whole series, we're going to end each of these sermons with good news and bad news. And the bad news is this, that God is unsafe. We can't control him and we can't tame him. The good news is this, God is good. God may be unsafe, but in him, we are safe. And he is so immeasurably other. And all we are left to do then is to worship him. Would you stand?
Some of us in this place this morning are feeling some awe of him, beginning to to understand his otherness. And what we feel in this place is so wonderful, but if he truly is who he is and we truly are worshiping him, then tomorrow we need to go face-to-face with him and the next day face-to-face with him and begin to let that awe and that otherness sink deep inside of us. I've said this morning that the only place to be safe from God is in God. And some of you say, well, how do I do that? And that's why Jesus came. He came because he made God approachable. He became the bridge for us. He became God in flesh for us. And so he said, if you you put your faith in me, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all the impurity so that you stand before God where he will accept you. And so you can do that right now where you're standing. You can say, Jesus, I I, I want to journey with you into God. And he'll forgive you for your sins right now, right where you are. And then it's a journey. You continue it. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're doing that, would you just stop by your information desk in the back and say, I I want to be on a journey with Jesus. And some of our folks back there will give you a gift to begin that process. But I'm going to encourage you to even email me here at Erie First. The information's on your uh, in your service folder. And just say, hey, help me walk this journey. And and we'll, we'll connect you to somebody that'll do that for you. Oh, God wants to be your safety. So my prayer for you now is this, that you may come face to face with this unsafe God who's uncontrollable. May you find faith to find out that he's controlling your life and that there's nothing in front of you that he cannot conquer. May you find conviction that as you allow him to view who you are on the inside and reveals those things that have kept you separated from him and offend him, may you find healing and forgiveness. So may you walk in holiness and faith. And may you be encouraged that this one who loved you enough that he came and died and rose again and coming back for you lives within you now. And there's nothing in this world that can control him. And he loves you. Be sealed in his name today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.